1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. Here's what's ahead on this Friday. Tech is still rocking, so should you be knocking Apple, Amazon, and Facebook crushing it after earnings, Apple surpassing Saudi Aramco to become the most valuable company in the world? Is there still time to ride this rally? We will debate. Plus, stay at home, work from home, and do it yourself. If you own shares in a lot of the names related to this trend, then you are one happy camper. We're going to go inside the latest numbers straight ahead and a tale of two bubbles, a jumbo sized mortgage problem and a travel nightmare. That's all on tap today. But we begin with the markets and Dom Chu is here with the numbers. Better picture than this morning, Dom.
2: It was a better picture than this morning for some parts of the market. But some of the key ones are deteriorating because tech was rocking a lot more earlier this morning. And as you can see. Just in the last few moments or so, we are now red for the NASDAQ composite, which was solidly higher earlier on today, thanks to the strength of those earnings reports from the likes of Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, and others. But the Dow Industrial is now off by about 1%, as you can see here. The S&P 500 holding above that 3,200 mark, off two-thirds of 1%, and we'll keep an eye on that NASDAQ trade momentum as of late on the upside. Another thing to watch right now is what's happening as we dig into the sectors, The final day of the trading month here, we have seen consumer discretionary, the outperforming sector so far, and utilities, again, the two leading sectors of the S&P 500. Meanwhile, no surprise, energy, oil prices. It's tough to be in the oil business right now. Those oil prices really lagging. And that brings us to three or four particular stocks that are going to be in the news today because they are Dow components, Caterpillar and Chevron, two of the biggest laggards here so far in terms of the Dow point drops, and then Merck. Not only does it beat in profits and revenues, but it also ups its guidance for the year. So, again, some strength here in drugs. Meanwhile, industrials and energy, the real laggards for the Dow. I'll send things back over to you.
1: All right, Dom, thank you very much. We'll keep a close eye on those markets. Meanwhile, the dollar is hovering around two-year lows today, and it's on track to post its biggest monthly drop in a decade. Let's get to Rick Santelli watching this for us out of the CME. Rick?
3: Yes, there's so many strange things going on, whether it's the dollar and the conditions driving gold. Uh, Let's start out with exactly what is going on with the dollar index. Look at this chart. This chart goes back to 1979. You see the all-time high there, right around 160 plus. Well, it started to deteriorate, and you could argue it's been in deterioration mode ever since, and it certainly looks like it can go into the 80 to 85 area that we were discussing yesterday. But conditions are so different. Look at gold. This chart starts in 1979. I was in the pits then. Gold traded up over $800. The problem is he had to wait 27 years to take a profit. It wasn't until 2007 gold took that price out. And you see that gold really is a religion. Open the chart up to present. Obviously, the left side disappears. Even with these high prices, realize that whether it was the dollar or interest rates, look at tenure rates from 1979. They were at 12 and 13% on their way to 16%. So I guess what I'm saying here is we're at historic lows for interest rates, dollars on a slide, and gold? Gold goes up because gold bugs are odd, and the conditions that make it a religion can change on a dime. Be prepared for many changes if you're one of the precious metal holders, especially considering how conditions can change with fundamentals. Kelly? Kelly?
1: They've been burned before, I think, is your warning there, Rick. Thank you very much, sir. Meanwhile, let's turn to tech. Investors are piling into big tech today follow, following their stellar earnings. Apple and Facebook hitting new all-time highs earlier. Apple, the world's biggest company now at over $1.7 trillion in size at the highs. Google's turning lower while Amazon is just shy of its all-time high. But why is there so much focus on these four big names? And it's amazing to see Facebook still up 7.5%, even as we've slid a little bit uh, in the market this afternoon. Take a look at how influential these companies are. Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon have a combined index weighting of 18% of the S&P 500, and they are 40% of the NASDAQ 100. Their dominance you can see in the ETFs as well. Amazon is 25% of the consumer discretionary ETF, the XLY. And the communication services ETF, the XLC, Alphabet. 24% 24% of that one followed closely by Facebook at 21%. They're almost half of that entire ETF. And in the tech-heavy tech XLK, Apple is 22% of the total portfolio. Now, just to give you an idea of how big Apple is, the company's cash pile is about $194 billion right now. It's about 25 bucks for every person on the planet. Let's talk more about these market dominators. Joining me now, Neelai Patel is editor-in-chief of The Verge and Steve Malinovich is tech strategist at Wolf Research. And Neelai, perhaps what's most striking to me is all of this is taking place after the big tech hearing that for other industries traditionally marked the start of the end of their dominance.
4: Yeah, I think there was a reason those companies uh, wanted to have that hearing before their earnings came out. I think they all knew they were going to have monster quarters in the pandemic, and they didn't want Congress to be able to say, look, you're pandemic profiteers. Look at how reliant we are on all of you. We should obviously break you up. They wanted to take that argument away. I think we're seeing, uh, you know, that hearing accomplished exactly what Chairman Cicilline wanted it to accomplish. They put a lot of documents on the record. We are seeing just how in control of the digital economy these companies are. And as we're all working at home, living at home, staying at home, uh, I think we're seeing even more of our money is going through these companies and some change is going to come. But for now, uh, they're they're firmly in control.
1: Steve, what would you say to investors who wonder just how big these companies can get? They've blown past the trillion mark for all but Facebook. Uh, Is is there any reason they should slow down at this size?
5: Well, tech obviously has a very high multiple and it is looking very much like perhaps rhyming with 2000 in general. But, you know, these names are still fairly relatively well priced compared to the rest of tech. And the common theme here really is platform powers. The academics would say platforms invert the company. You're creating more value outside the company than inside the company. That means ecosystems, network effects, application programming interfaces. And the thing that usually gets you in tech is disruptive technology, new companies coming along. I don't really see that yet. These are the leaders in AI and autonomous driving and a lot of the new technologies. So, yes, there's regulatory risk but I still think you've got another three to five years of good growth with the fan names.
1: Three to five years would suggest $2 trillion market caps. What
4: were you gonna say, Nilay? Well, I I think that was the point of the hearing, right? I mean, that hearing was a little bit of a circus. I think we all watched it. It was six hours and crazy. The theme of that hearing was you're so big and you're using your, your platform dominance and power to make sure you crush competitors. So specifically with Facebook, it was a lot of Mark Zuckerberg's email saying, I'm buying Instagram to neutralize a competitor. That is documents Congress is able to put on the record. And I think the danger that they are focused on is, are these companies going to quash disruptive competitors in the future? So I think there's a through line between what their opportunities are in new fields and whether or not they need to be regulated such that other competitors can't come in and create value for investors and consumers.
1: And we hear everyone, Steve, from TikTok to Expedia kind of saying, yeah, there are practices that make it hard for us to compete. I used an anecdote earlier this week about how I now use Facebook Marketplace if I have to sell anything as opposed to Craigslist. I mean, it's a complete sea change uh, for kind of the way that we used to do commerce. All of that said, you know, there's one thing about crushing competitors There's another thing about monopolistic practices face. uh, I'm sorry. Pinterest today is up 30 percent. I mean, does that tell you that there's still room for other competitors?
5: Well, I think there is. And, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, the VC firm, actually has a list of 100 private marketplace companies. And they say if you really narrow your focus, you potentially can have an impact here. Um, now, clearly, these companies have the power, and there were some embarrassing emails at the uh, testimony. So, the margin, some of them are abusing their power. I think there are ways to deal with that. Um, Sensenbrenner said we don't need a change in laws. We just need to enforce them better. I'm not sure that's the case because traditional antitrust was more about companies dominating the supply side these companies dominate the demand side and so we may need some changes in the laws but I think these strong quarters show that consumers are voting for the products and services that these companies are providing. And we don't want to use we don't want to lose the benefits of that.
1: So final question, Nila, you said you did see some hints of where regulation or new laws might be going uh, after listening through that six hours. Uh, tell us what you think that might be and whether investors should view it as a threat to their positions in any of these names.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely right. We're going to see a change, a proposed change to antitrust law. To address dominance on the demand side. That was a big hint. There's a reason Cicilline quoted Louis Brandeis uh, at the end there. That is a change to the fundamental standard, the consumer uh, welfare standard of antitrust law. That's what he's hinting at. I think we're also going to see some proposed regulation for digital marketplaces to prevent companies from playing in their own marketplaces on unfair terms. That was a very clear through line for both Apple and Amazon. And I think we're going to see a very strong referral to the FTC and DOJ to look at spinning out some of these companies. And I think in particular, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, that will be a very strong referral.
1: Interesting. Thank you both. We appreciate it. Nilay Patel, Steve Malinovich talking big tech today. Meanwhile, with those names at or near all-time highs and After the run that they've had, where else can and should investors be looking for opportunities right now? For more, let's welcome in Blarina Heisey. She's manager of fixed income trading at Buckingham Wealth Partners and Craig Columbus, is CEO of Columbus Macro. It's good to have you both here. Blarina, what are you telling clients?
6: Thank you, Kelly. Uh, We have been telling clients prior to the pandemic, that we need to stick the course. If you decide that this is how much risk you're willing to take, that's what you should do, whether markets are up or down, because the the worst thing you want to do is take action when it's the worst time to do so. Right.
1: But what so specifically for you guys, what does that mean? Do you have underweighting, you know, for big tech? Are you tactical kind of more stock pickers? You know, explain kind of how what's happened with the market caps that we've described does or doesn't affect the kind of advice you would give.
6: So uh, specifically to fixed income, we uh, tend to have our fixed income be very high quality, and we have remained that way. We're not looking to generate yield by taking additional volatility or risk with fixed income, and the reason for that is just because we don't feel that fixed income is highly rewarded as equities would be. Um, so with that being said, we stick to very high quality fixed income because, just to give you an example, the ten, um, the five-year single A-rated corporate. Uh, Yield curve today was showing 76 basis points. The equivalent nominal rate we're getting on something that's safer, like an FDIC insured CD, is uh, 65 basis points. So -hmm. why take that additional? equity-like risk to your portfolio. You won't fix income to dampen the volatility and behave very differently from your equity portion. So you have the ability to, to, to rebalance in down markets. That's a great
1: point. It's amazing that you barely get any extra compensation for a completely different product. Uh, Craig, let me bring you in. It's kind of same questions. Um, what's your advice to investors these days? And are, do you hear them concerned about the, the size of some of the market caps here in big tech? Sure. So I think
7: there's two real dominant themes. One, tech and biotech, medical devices, you're looking for growth in a slow-growth world, and tech gets you that. And one of the things that really struck me was in the benefit from work from home, study from home, I think one of the reasons why we see red on the broader market today is just a lack of progress on fiscal cliff, because one-time payments, stimulus payments, were very important to that consumption boost we saw in some of those big tech names. So we need to find a way to get to 60 votes in the Senate. That's holding us back at the moment. And the other thing I really have liked is just weaker dollars. The supply of dollars has just gone up so much. You no longer have the yield differential advantage in the U.S. as Fed's taken rates to zero, and you don't have the growth differential. So I think weaker dollar is a longer-term theme. And you say, well, what benefits from that would be things like materials, which would be most inversely correlated to, to – that's a, a cyclical group that – has outperformed the other deep-value cyclicals like financials and energy and industrials. Or you could look at the things like the emerging, where China A or Taiwan also benefit from a weak dollar. And, of course, things like gold, silver, and tips.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's good to hear you tie it all back to the weak dollar, because that is becoming more of a focus. You think this, that whole trading uh, sort of array that you outlined, that can be a paradigm for quite some time?
7: I do. When you look at weak dollar periods, they tend to be multi-year periods. And I I see no with the Fed sort of anchoring rates for lower for longer, with the supply of dollars continuing to go up on the fiscal side. If you think about just we are running a stimulus, what's called 13 percent of GDP versus the Chinese, which are, let's say, 5 percent of GDP. So I do think we are in a multi-year trend here of sort of weaker dollars kind of topped after a period of stronger dollar. And so I think that is a multi-year trend.
8: All right.
1: Thank you both. Craig Columbus, Columbus, Blurina Heisey. We appreciate it talking us through these crazy stock and bond markets lately and dollar, too. Coming up, home buyers are taking advantage of record low interest rates, but those who want pricier houses aren't reaping the same rewards. We'll talk about why and what it's telling us about the housing market. Plus, at home is dominating while away from home flops once again. Shares of Pinterest are soaring 32 percent, while Expedia is tumbling with a 5 percent decline. We'll dive into both coming up.
3: This is The Exchange on CNBC.
9: At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit. New world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC.
1: Record low interest rates are helping home buyers lock in years' worth of mortgage savings. But it turns out pricier homes aren't seeing as big of a benefit. According to Bankrate.com, the average rate on the 30-year jumbo mortgage is now more than four-tenths of a point higher than a normal conforming one. It's the biggest spread in seven years. More on why this is happening. Let's bring in Greg McBride. He's the chief financial analyst for Bankrate.com. Greg, it's good to have you. And this is Peculiar. What's going on?
10: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kelly. It is peculiar. This is the first time we've seen this kind of phenomenon in about seven years. Uh, for the most, much of the last six years, jumbo rates were actually running below the, those of conforming rates. And what's happened is that when the Fed stepped into the market with a blank check in late March, early April, and started buying government-backed loans, the rates for those loans plunged. Jumbo rates, not so much. So at the beginning of the year, uh, jumbo rates were lower than what we see on conforming. Now, as you noted, more than four tenths of a percentage point higher on average. What's the, the breakoff point now for something to be considered a jumbo mortgage? In most markets, it's $510,400 in designated high-cost markets, um, particularly along the coasts, California, New York, Washington, Boston, those areas. It's higher. It's seven sixty five six hundred. Uh, if you're close to that threshold, I think it makes sense to look at making a larger down payment so that you can borrow the entire amount at the lower conforming rate. Many of those rates well below 3%.
1: Do you think there's a general any sort of problem with availability of these jumbo mortgages? Because anecdotally, you hear some banks, I I think Wells Fargo might have been one of them kind of examining the product. Any reason why buyers of kind of those mega dollar homes might need to have a little extra time or concern about getting that mortgage?
10: Yeah, definitely fewer lenders in the marketplace. You know, when the you know, without a viable secondary market and with the Federal Reserve basically making the government-backed loans the only game in town as far as investors are concerned, lenders didn't want to get stuck with a hot potato. And so a lot of lenders stopped taking applications for jumbo loans simply because they weren't so sure they were going to be able to sell it. However, it, you know, it's credit still available. You're just going to have to search around a little bit more. Uh, not as many lenders are offering them. Look at local community banks. You know, we see a lot of very competitive rates offered in that case, and they hold those loans in their own portfolio oftentimes. So they're not dependent on selling that to somebody else.
1: Yeah, I've heard investors kind of saying that as well, that, that those local banks, they like that some of that exposure. You know, no one's crying for people who you know, are buying a million dollar home and facing a higher mortgage rate. I'm sure they're all they've all still come down. But at some point, is there enough dysfunction in the market that it would warrant some kind of Fed response or intervention?
10: I don't think we're there. I mean, when you look at jumbo rates, they're still low. They're still well below 4%, uh, you know, still in the the mid threes in many cases. Uh, So rates on jumbos have come down this year. They just haven't come down nearly as much as the lower conforming rates. And there is a precedent for this, Kelly. In the financial crisis, these spreads blew out. It took five years for that to normalize. So this isn't something that's going to likely to go away overnight.
1: Wow. Well, final question while I have you, let's turn back to the average rate on most normal conforming mortgages. Uh, we spoke with Diana Olick last week about how two and a half percent could be the, the next stop. What would you tell people who are thinking about a refi or, or a purchase?
10: Yeah, I mean, we are seeing rates trending lower. When you look at the 10-year Treasury note right now at 54 basis points or whatever it is, that bodes well for mortgage rates. Uh, mortgage rates are already at record lows. The uncertainty and weakness about uh, in the economy and, and uncertainty about what the virus is going to do to the recovery, all of that is, is dragging mortgage rates lower. So definitely a favorable environment for both refinancing and home buying in the months to come.
1: But you're not committing to two and a half percent and leaving the door open?
10: The, well, there are two and a half percent rate quotes out there that are available. Yeah. Uh, if rates go lower, you'll definitely see more of those. I think the odds are in that favor. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, again, yeah, no guarantees.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's a, a discussion I know many, many people are having trying to figure out just how low it'll go. Greg, thanks. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Greg McBride with Bankrate.com. Coming up, was it all talk? A slew of companies are reversing course and returning to advertising after boycotting earlier this month. We'll debate what that's telling us about Facebook's power. Plus, in a landmark move, a fintech company has become a chartered bank, opening up a huge door for other Silicon Valley players. We'll look at what that means for the traditional banks. Remember, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The
9: Exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back to The Exchange. We are keeping a close eye on markets right
1: now as Dom laid out at the top of the hour. We were coming back off the lows today, but Struggling to hold there. And good news, the NASDAQ has turned back into positive territory. So 23 points, about a quarter of 1%. The S&P is still down half a percent. The Dow is down nine-tenths of a percent. And just imagine what that would look like without Apple. Chevron is weighing big over there. Here's a look at the sectors, and the technology-oriented ones are again leading the way. That includes consumer discretionary in the leadership position up 1% today. Tech up three-quarters of a percent. Communication services fractionally lower. Worst performer, as I just mentioned, in the case of Chevron, especially energy, second day running now. That's sector down almost
0: another 2%. Let's get over to Sue Herrera for our CNBC News update now. Sue? Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Dr. Anthony Fauci told a House panel this morning that he was optimistic that a safe and effective vaccine could be available by
3: next year. We feel cautiously optimistic that we will have a vaccine by the end of this year and as we go into 2021. So I don't think it's dreaming congresswoman i believe it's a reality and will be shown to be a reality
0: former ku klux klan leader david duke has been banned from twitter for breaking the platform's rules forbidding hate speech the company did not specify what exactly duke posted that triggered the ban but said that duke's account quote has been permanently suspended for repeated violations of the twitter rules on hateful conduct end quote and former television host Regis Philbin has been buried at his alma mater, the University of Notre Dame. The burial took place Wednesday after a private service at Cedar Grove Cemetery on the school's campus. Philbin died of natural causes on July 24th, just over a month before his 89th birthday. He was a great guy, and he will really be missed. Absolutely, Kelly, I love seeing
1: that old footage too. I know. The, you know everyone's outfits and the hair, and you just—it's <laughs> a reminder of how many different eras he he was. He popular was thrill. basically
0: a man for all seasons. He did so many different types of television and entertainment and news. My husband actually worked for for him um, <laughs> in news out in Los Angeles where he started. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Well, rest in peace, uh, yep. Regis. Sue, thank you very much. You got it.
0: Now, in a landmark move,
1: one fintech company is branching out and getting approval for a national bank charter. Could mean big changes for the banking industry overall. Kate Rooney is here with the details for us. Hi,
8: Kate. Hey, Kelly. Digital bank Vero Money was approved this morning by U.S. regulators to become a full-scale bank. It's a landmark case, and it could pave the way for some other tech-focused finance companies to do the same. Dozens of fintechs have popped up in recent years with banking products. Think of Square, Robinhood, SoFi, you've got PayPal's Venmo. But none are actually banks in the traditional sense. They instead partner with smaller community banks who hold those FDIC-insured deposits. Critics say it's unfair. If it walks like a bank and talks like a bank, they should deal directly with their regulators. Advocates, uh, Advocates, though, say it's great. The tech companies can focus on their platforms and user experience and help out some struggling community banks who might not be able to get as many customer deposits. SoftBank-backed SoFi became the latest fintech to apply for a charter just a few weeks ago. Square has a conditional approval for an ILC or an industrial loan charter. Robinhood did have one in the works, but it pulled that back in November. I spoke to Barrow CEO Colin Walsh this morning. He says this is a way for them to lower cost uh, and that other tech companies might be emboldened, but he says... There are no shortcuts. It is a lengthy process. So words of warning from the CEO there. Kelly, back to you. Yeah, but also uh, kind of words of warning to the whole banking industry. You mentioned Square, Kate. That's the one I
1: was thinking of that had already kind of gone down this path. How quickly might we expect them to be on the scene?
8: They're looking at 2021 and their bank charter is slightly different. They have conditional approval. They'll have to get a couple more steps in there. But again, Square would be the biggest. Vera's a smaller startup, uh, but Square could potentially get into other areas. And um, like Colin Walsh mentioned, it, lower, it improves the economics for these guys. So they don't have to pay their partner bank. But for that is one I would definitely watch a Square.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, And the whole banking industry as well. Kate, thank you very much. Kate Rooney with the latest there. Coming up, the NBA kicking off its season last night, betting that its Orlando bubble won't burst and using lots of tech to make it a better experience for viewers. We're going to look at their plans and if they can avoid a baseball-like situation. Plus, Pinterest shares are surging today as user growth growth soars amid the pandemic. We'll talk about the surprising demographic that's boosting growth next. They're up 32% for pins. Back in two. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a couple stories that should be on your radar today. It is time for Rapid Fire, and here to take on the headlines are Seema Modi, Eric Chemi, and Julia Borston. Welcome, everybody. First up, we got to talk some Pinterest. Super. I mean, just the high flyer, the stock story of the day. The company beat analyst expectations for its second quarter results. Revenue was only up 4% year-on-year, but look at this. Global monthly active users surged almost 40% year-on-year to more than 400 million. So the stock is up more than 30% today easily its best day ever. Julia, you spoke with the CEO, right? I mean, is this sustainable?
11: Unfortunately, I did not get to speak with the CEO, but I did listen to the earnings call and the CEO there had a lot of interesting things to say. And here's the key thing, Kelly. In July, Pinterest saw 50% revenue growth. Okay. And with that in mind, they now project in the third quarter, they will have 30% revenue growth. I think there are two things at play here. Number one, they are benefiting from the Facebook boycott. They are saying that they're watching to see how much of those increased uh, advertisers and increased spend is due to the boycott. But they've been taking this as an opportunity to talk to brands about the fact that they don't have that messy political ad conversation on the platform. And then also they're just seeing a surge in younger users they're seeing twice as much growth in users under the age 25. Under age 25 is over age 25. People are using it for things like at-home projects, crafts, et cetera.
1: Eric, is it true that there were were men using it too? There was like a big surge?
12: I mean, it might be true. I don't know how many men would admit to that. I'm I'm not using it, but I can see if you're desperate, you're working from home, no one's around, you're looking at your computer. Maybe Pinterest is the kind of uh, guilty pleasure that you're looking at trying to figure out how to get that home gym going or some manly (laughs) projects in the house. So I can see that maybe helping with a little bit of that user growth because clearly they're going to have a lot more growth area open green space there with the guys and with the ladies right exactly.
1: now. Exactly. And so Seema, I am curious. I mean, we, we talk about 40% surge in global monthly active users and kind of people's awareness about it, especially maybe younger users, but I just, again, these conditions are so unique. I just wonder how sustainable they are.
13: Yeah, and the company says on its earnings call that while people are spending time at home, their interest in arts and crafts has increased and therefore they're spending more time on Pinterest. I have to say, uh, similar to Eric, I wasn't a big fan of of Pinterest, but I will say that changed once I got engaged. Now yes, that I'm yes. looking for recommendations on wedding venues, who knows when it's going to be in this pandemic, but still <laughs> I'm collecting those ideas, uh, mostly from my mom. She has very strong opinions on, on where it should be. <laughs> (laughs) and what i should be wearing but either way i was looking for a platform where i could consolidate all those ideas really it's only pinterest
1: julia i will say this and then we'll move on but the engagement party the wedding i use pinterest uh, like a ton but in the last several years since then i really haven't done much with it
11: oh kelly i am a perfect example of someone who's been using pinterest more since coronavirus i save my recipes on there it's great for at-home projects and to the point of men using pinterest more internationally, many more men use Pinterest than they do here. And a huge amount of the user growth has come from overseas. So I think if you look at like home improvement, if you're planting a garden. Those are the kinds of things that Pinterest is incredibly useful for.
1: Yeah, Eric, we'll get you going on a Pinterest channel with the home gym tips for the international (laughs) male audience. And we're going to come back to the Facebook uh, advertising issues in just a moment. But let's talk about what's going on with Expedia today. Here's one stock that is not popping. It's no secret travel companies have been hit hard by the pandemic. The CEO, Peter Kern, didn't mince words when describing the damage to Expedia's earnings. He says the second quarter, quote, represented likely the worst quarter the travel industry has seen in modern history. And Expedia was, of course, not spared. Shares Seema down about 5%. It had been on a pretty nice rally from the March lows up 70%. They did have some areas like Verbo that were re- a little bit stronger.
13: Yeah, and that was key. And in our conversation today with CEO Peter Kern on Squawk on the Street, he said, yes, we're seeing stronger growth in Verbo, our home rentals platform. But he disagreed with comments made by Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky a couple weeks ago where he had said that the shift from uh, from hotels to vacation rentals is permanent uh, and not temporary. And Peter Kern pushed back today. He, was, he said, I do not agree with that. Now, context is that when you look at gross bookings, Expedia still makes a large share of its bookings from hotels, from air travel, verbo, while growing is still a smaller piece of the pie. So uh, that seems to be a, the big opportunity for Expedia to grow that platform. And how do you incentivize more home buyers to list their homes? That's something that they're trying to work on.
1: Yeah. And it, it's interesting, Eric, because anecdotally around here, more people are kind of discovering Verbo for the first time. And the Expedia CEO is in a weird position where on the one hand, he's saying to Airbnb, no, 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 people will go back to using our traditional platform. But then they have an Airbnb-like competitor that you, you know, that they're also trying to encourage. So he kind of has to be on both sides yeah, of it that's here. The, that's
12: a tricky thing when you've got these conglomerates with diversified portfolios. So if one of them does well- well, usually the other one's not doing as well. So where are you waiting your business? I think we're going to see this get back to normal once COVID goes away. It's hard to make these projections into the future when we're still in the middle of shutdowns and people looking to look around here. There's barely nobody here, so right. you can't even go to the office. Your travel is very weird. There's a lot of ways you can travel whether it's driving, flying, cruises. So you're just moving one method to another.
1: Right, exactly. And Julie, I think it just time will tell. I mean, I personally, I think he's you know, they're probably right that we're going to go back to something more like normal. It's going to just take a while.
11: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think there are two different things we're talking about here, Kelly. Maybe it's 18 months from now. Maybe it's even two years from now. But eventually, when things do return to normal, I think there will be a huge amount of pent-up demand for real travel, hotels, plane flights going very far away. But in the meantime, (laughs) I think verbo is thriving because people are gonna discover it. I've used it myself with my family, I've used that and Airbnb. And I think there are a lot of people who are gonna say, I haven't done this before, I'm trying it now because I feel like now it's really my only safe option. Right. And then eventually I think the question is how many of those people are converted and then to Seema's point, will we see more people being willing to rent their houses on these platforms because now they are inventory constrained? True, Kelly, true. We can
13: you and I will discuss that with Booking Holdings CEO next Friday after they report earnings to see whether he agrees with uh-huh. either Chesky of Airbnb or Kern of Expedia.
1: That's a nice deep tease. We are looking <laughs> forward to it. All right. We mentioned Facebook's advertising issues. First of all, the company blew past estimates despite reporting reporting its slowest revenue growth since its IPO and earnings last night. The stock is on pace for its best since March. It's still up more than 7 percent and it's looking to lock in a fourth straight month of gains where it's up 50 percent. Now, this was all in the quarter where big companies boycotted Facebook and chose not to advertise on the platform. But fast forward and some of those companies, including North Face, Puma and Heineken, Julia are returning. We saw this before with Cambridge Analytica. We're starting to see it again.
11: Well, what we saw here, Kelly, was really the biggest boycott Facebook has ever faced. But it was really intended originally only to be in the month of July. And what Facebook told us is in the month of July, their revenue growth of roughly 10 percent was consistent with what they saw in the second quarter. And they expect that to be consistent throughout the third quarter. So Facebook really indicating that if they are feeling an impact, it's not meaningful. They made a big deal on the earnings call about Facebook's strength being its small businesses. And now their 100 largest advertisers represent just 16% of their total revenue, down from 20% a year ago. Now we're starting to see some of those advertisers who boycotted in July return. They said they were satisfied with the changes Facebook made, and they feel like there's sort of productive uh, movement going on there. Some of the other ones say they're going to extend the boycotts until August, like Smucker, Eddie Bauer. Um, Boston Beer Company. So it'll be interesting to see how much more Facebook does to assuage the concerns of these uh, of these big brands.
1: I think, Eric, it always serves Facebook to remind everybody that they might be one of the biggest companies in the world, but they are primarily driven by millions of small businesses and advertising.
12: Right, millions of small businesses. Uh, you look at who's on there. This is a direct-to-consumer play. A lot of local businesses on there. You've got your community right there and a lot of these community-based groups. So if anything, you're not going to see these guys boycott because this is the main channel that a lot of them have have if it's not Facebook, then are they going back to the the church bulletins, the local newspapers, if those things even exist? So they may not even get a chance to boycott. Maybe they're looking at Yelp if it's not Facebook.
1: Right. And maybe that's where you start to wonder about more of those monopolistic practices, Seema. But again, it goes back to Pinterest and the benefit, you know, the sustainability of their strong earnings is not just on the user on the demand side, but on the advertiser side and the boost that they got from people who might have temporarily left Facebook.
13: Yeah, it underscores the resiliency of Facebook's platform. And at a time when companies really aren't providing any guidance. What stood out to me, they said that ad revenue through the first three weeks of July was in line with the second quarter growth rate of 10 percent. Uh, again, a pretty optimistic picture there.
1: All right. Uh, finally, in, with everything going on in the sports world, we've got a couple of different narratives emerging. Basketball is back. The NBA restarted its season last night. Uh, Julie, do we have any ratings
11: numbers yet? Uh, Well, I haven't seen anything official yet, but we expect there to be huge pent-up demand here, Kelly. Now, this is, people have been waiting for so long. We saw a huge surge in ratings for baseball. Now, the popularity of basketball is expected to steal some of those viewers over from baseball. Obviously, it's very unusual to have so many sports overlap like this. But I think when it comes down to it, the big question is what's going to happen with football?
1: For sure. But even before we go down that path, I mean, Eric, it was interesting to watch the games last night where they had these virtual fans. And I think I read today that those fans can get quote unquote booted out of the stadium. For
12: yeah, if you, could put that, if you could put that up. So there you go. So that is a Microsoft Teams call. That is 320 <laughs> local fans, each team that technically is the home court for that game. Oh, it is really? Those yeah, are so, real. Oh, my goodness. So you could basically say to your season ticket holders or certain, you know, fan groups that are really loud. Hey, you're going to be in our 320 person group. We're doing a Teams call and you've got that virtual back Background. It looks like a seat. So you have to behave nicely. Let's not get X-rated here. Let's keep this to be basketball appropriate. And we've got moderators that are generally team employees. They'll bounce you from the room. They'll get a guy from the virtual waiting room to take your seat if you get out of line. But that's what you were seeing yesterday. Wow. It's a giant Microsoft Teams call in the background.
1: <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. I think so far basketball, you know, it's been a day, but they're trying to avoid uh, what's happening with baseball. And there was just another team today reporting an outbreak, right? What does that tell us about what's going to happen with football, which is doing something more of the baseball model, whereas the NHL, I think, is is also doing this more bubble. Right. So
12: you look at the NHL, they're doing two bubbles in Canada right now. They're starting tomorrow. The NBA is doing a bubble. So hockey and basketball, they've got smaller arenas and they can play games every couple of days. The problem with baseball is you're playing a game every day. You need a giant field football. You're playing once a week. You're playing at the same time, a giant field. So baseball and football, it's hard to do it in a bubble. Where do you have 15 baseball fields and football fields of professional quality all in the same place that you can play all at the same time? That's the problem for those two sports. It's not like they're trying to not do a bubble, they literally have no place that they can do it. Dr. David Ho, who's an NBA advisor, we know his work with HIV and AIDS, he just said to Mectrel the other day, I don't know how sports is going to work outside yeah. of a bubble.
1: And we should show, I mean, DraftKings, Eric, the last time I checked was down 70% again today. And I assume that's just because of the latest baseball outbreak.
12: Exactly right. If now we're six teams out of 30 aren't playing today, we're running uh, out of teams here within just a week of baseball.
0: Yikes.
1: I don't think Seema's one of those virtual fans uh, yet, but I
13: think I'm sold, Kelly. I think it seems like a virtual (laughs) sort of futuristic experience. And I've pretty much watched every show I want on Netflix at this point. So I'm in. Let's do it. NBA. I'm actually really looking forward to the U.S. Open, Eric Chemi, uh, which I believe starts in what, late August? They've already got a bubble at Arthur Ashe. Coming up. Wow, coming
1: up. I didn't even realize that. All right. Thank you all. We appreciate it. Seema Modi, Eric Chemi and Julia Borson in Rapid Fire today. Steelhead, Take a look at this mystery chart. The stock is up more than 120 percent so far this year. It's an at home trade, but it's not tech or software related. We'll reveal the company and speak with its CEO coming up. Plus, the federal moratorium on evictions that protected nearly 30 percent of the country's rental units has expired. Economists say it could cause a new housing crisis in America. We'll explore that next. federal moratorium on evictions expired last week. The provisions covered nearly 30 percent of the country's rental units during the pandemic. Estimates say that a total of 40 million people faced potential eviction. Add that to the expiration of those enhanced unemployment benefits. And you can imagine the damage could be far worse. Now, economists say there's a looming wave of evictions, the size of which will be determined state by state, county by county. But what's clear is that the most vulnerable tenants are at the highest risk. With us now is Tendai Kafidze. He's chief economist at LendingTree. Tandai, It's good to have you here. And what are we learning so far about now? I mean, first of all, is there any hope that Congress is going to extend this moratorium?
14: Um, I'm not sure. Honestly, it's really difficult to interpret uh, what the Congress is doing. So I'd want to be hopeful. uh, But, you know, hopefully they get their heads right and they get it together uh, because this really could be catastrophic. And it extends beyond just the rental uh, industry. It could actually affect the single family housing market and the economy as a whole. Of course. So
1: now that it's expired, do you already see movement on this front or do you think people are taking a wait and see approach?
14: Well, I think there's actually evictions already in the process. Right. So what happened in many states is that even though there was a moratorium on actually evicting somebody, uh, you could actually proceed with the court case. Uh, Most most states, you need a court case to evict somebody. So there are already evictions in process. Uh, You know, some of those would have probably been happening without covid. Uh, And it's not clear how many of those are COVID related. So yeah, there's certainly evictions in process with the end of the moratorium, people already probably getting kicked out of their houses.
1: How proactive do you think landlords are likely to be given how weak the economy is? I mean, it's one thing to evict somebody to get another paying tenant in, but we face a very difficult time, I would imagine, for them to find other tenants right now.
14: Yeah, so there's not great data on this. Um, There's some anecdotal uh, things that I've come across where, you know, obviously some some, uh, landlords Uh, being very helpful to their tenants and uh, some are not. Uh, But certainly if you kick a tenant out, I don't know where you're going to get a new tenant uh, at this time. And this is why, you know, this can create a bigger crisis. It could morph into a financial crisis because the renter's payment is the mortgages, uh, sorry, the landlord's income that they pay the mortgage with. Uh, So no rent means maybe less uh, landlords paying their mortgages. That could lead to a decrease in home values even in the owner-occupied market, because these markets have gotten more intertwined since the financial crisis.
1: No, it's a great point, not to mention that just when you're talking about something of this scale, it'll have a lot of ripple effects. What localities do you think could see this happen at the biggest scale?
14: Um, That's not something I've looked at in detail. I really think it's a national problem, so it needs a national solution uh, from the Congress. We have seen that in different locales. uh, Obviously, people have different laws. Here in New York, there was a moratorium put on uh, by the governor, Uh, And in every state and every city, uh, there's a patchwork of different, uh, you know, kind of laws that people are using. Uh, So really, it's uh, it's necessary that we have a federal plan, Uh, you know, just like we didn't get a federal plan uh, to deal with the actual health care crisis. We need a federal plan to deal with this rental crisis or it's going to get worse.
1: Right. And again, this moratorium was meant to get us through the worst of the coronavirus. And it's the renewed spread that puts us most at risk again. Right. I mean, the fact that we're just we're not through to the other side yet.
14: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the measures that were put in place by Congress, by the Fed, uh, was supposed to be kind of this bridge, right, to, you know, a few months later when hopefully would have managed the healthcare crisis a little bit better. Uh, You know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, We put the most consequential decisions in the hands of the least capable people. Uh, People have suffered, have lost their lives. People are going to lose their livelihoods. People might lose their homes. I mean, it's really tragic uh, when you look at how well other countries have handled uh, this crisis. Uh, that the United States uh, has failed so dismally, um, you know it's uh, it 's sad uh, I, I really don 't know how yeah. else to characterize it well the and, ha- uh, you know hopefully the Congress gets it together. Uh, we need these unemployment benefits extended. we need a new moratorium uh, on evictions. People need a lot of help out there, or we 're all going to be in trouble uh, yeah. we 're all in this together and and really you know we need the government to step up
1: then the House just cancelled uh, its August recess, so perhaps this will be part of uh, of the action that we expect is still coming on that front. Tendai, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Tendai Kafidze is the chief economist at Lending Tree. Coming up, as the pandemic keeps more people in their houses for longer, the home decor store at home has seen sales surge. We're going to talk to the chairman and CEO Lee Bird about this phenomenon next. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Exchange. If you were one of the many people who worked from home and realized maybe this room needs an upgrade, you weren't alone. The pandemic uh, helping the at-home group see a 42% jump in sales. The stock soaring on the news. It's up 47% this week. Back in April, the stock was trading near a dollar. It's up more than 770% since then. And with me now is at-home group CEO Lee Bird. Lee, it's good to have you here. Welcome.
15: Thanks, Kelly, for having me.
1: So can you give us some more granularity? I mean, what exactly are people buying? Who are your customers? Where are they coming from? You must be winning share from somebody.
15: Well, we clearly are taking share with 51% growth and 42% same-store sales growth. We're taking share. We're, we're grateful for the customers that are coming in. We've got a lot of new customers as well as existing customers coming in. They're buying both seasonal, so patio and garden, but a lot of every day. Think about home office. We're all staying at home a lot more as well as cooking, because we're all cooking our own food now as well. And then everything else for the home, because you're looking around your house a lot more and you say, this is what I want to update. Mm-hmm. We're, we're grateful they're coming to our store.
1: What's the share of kind of physical versus digital in your business typically? What are you experiencing now?
15: Well, up until January, we were only in the stores. We had no e-commerce whatsoever. We started an e-commerce test, a buy online, pickup up in store test, a 28 store test in January. But when we saw traffic, declined dramatically the first week of March because of the COVID crisis, we immediately went on the offense and uh, and went towards all of our stores being buy line pick pick-up-in-store by March 22nd. And uh, and we also added delivery at as low as $10 because we know some people didn't want to leave their home. Mm-hmm. And so now that's a that's a large portion of, uh, of the offering now. I would say as stores have opened, they're a lot more comfortable in the store. Our stores are large, and so you can easily social distance in our store. They're 100,000 square feet. But we, we now offer all solutions for them to buy.
1: And where are your stores primary, primarily? You're based in Texas, right? Because I would expect you'd see more of a headwind from the fact that the South and West have had a their COVID spikes more recently, whereas we saw ours a few months ago.
15: Right. We've got stores in 40 states. We have 219 stores. We do about 1.5 billion in revenue. We do have over 30 stores in Texas. And we have noticed from Texas, Georgia, Florida, that uh, where case counts have grown our business has slowed a little bit, but we're still double-digit, solid double-digit comps in those states, even through the month of July. And in July, we had over a 40 comp as well as the total, for the total company.
1: Let's talk about the business model for a moment. You know, Any companies that have big debt hangovers right now, that's a, a problem. Um, how are you managing your debt load? And what do you expect your balance sheet to look like as you come out of this crisis?
15: Sure. We focused on liquidity. The minute this crisis happened, we wanted to make sure we had enough liquidity to handle the, the time spent where the stores would be closed. And we really did a great job. We generated well over, uh, we now have over 280 million in liquidity. Our, our leverage ratio, adjusted uh, debt to EBITDA ratio went from actually four turns better. We went from 5.4 down to 1.5. So our, our, we feel like we're in a great position to, to handle the situation out there.
1: And finally, what happens when people have gone, all right, I pretty much did every room in my house. I don't want to look at another Pinterest post. I don't want to touch a hammer. I don't want to touch a can of paint for five years. Are you guys prepared for what the post-pandemic landscape might look like?
15: Well, we think this is going to last for some time. People are going to feel a lot more comfortable staying home than being out. We're not sure about a vaccine and when does a vaccine happen. And so just like after 9-11, people stayed at home and that was a multi-year benefit for our industry, we feel that that's going to be the same for us as well. And we're just going to be taking more share because we're the lowest price leaders. We have the lowest price and the largest assortment. And when you have a recession, people go to where the low prices are.
1: How big do you think you guys can get?
15: Well, we're at 219 stores. We think we can be over 600 stores. We're a growth company. We've been growing almost 20% or nearly 20% for the past seven years. And we've got a lot of headroom.
1: Interesting. Well, you've certainly uh, come on the scene in a big way this week, especially with the earnings and, of course, with the rally since the lows. It's quite a turnaround story, and we appreciate you being here, Lee. Thanks so much.
15: Proud me. Take Lee care. Bird
1: is the CEO of At Home. Let's do a quick check on the markets before we go, where we're continuing to trim our losses somewhat. The Dow is down a little bit less than 200 points right now. Uh, watching the Nasdaq as well, which had turned po- uh, back into positive territory. Uh, even oil is turning a little bit more positive, and energy had been the weakest sector. Uh, technology is the leadership, still powered by strong results from the big cap tech companies with their earnings last night. Coming up in the next hour of power, these are the spoiled dogs of the producers here on The Exchange and Power Lunch. And as people keep spending on their animals, pet stocks are also soaring. We're going to talk to Ron Coughlin. He's the CEO of Petco about that, how they're weathering the pandemic and so much more. I'll see you on Power Lunch with Melissa Lee on the other side of this break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
9: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking.